Amen. Thank you, Mark. My name is Dave Dorst. I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you yet. We have a few returning college students on break and, and just out of college students and returning assistant pastor, the Crenshaws are back there. So it's good to have you guys. I've sort of left our uh, announcements for now, other than the Operation Christmas Child. Um, but a uh, few inserts in your bulletin. Uh, we need you to continue to sign up for the city if you haven't done so yet. Uh, over a hundred of us have, so great job in really kind of the first week of us rolling this out. But everyone ages 13 and over should sign up. This is going to be our primary means of communicating with you. And uh, from now on, you'll notice our Facebook exchange page has gone down because there is a marketplace on the city where you can post the same things. And so that is to encourage you over. And we'll be cutting off other things to bring us to the city. And I know it's a new tool. It's going to take a little getting used to, um, but uh, it's going to be worth it. So thanks for those who have already... Uh, the other bulletin insert is the Fall Festival next Sunday. This is honestly one of my favorite events all year. If you're in town, you don't want to miss it. It is, is a lot of fun, uh, even if you have to miss the Steeler game to be there. Um, yes. You won't miss the Redskins. They're on Monday night that weekend. So, Okay, I know uh, we've been singing Easter songs, but we've got Christmas stuff. Well, we're going to try something new this year. Uh, who has been to one of the downtown Leesburg parades? I think we have July 4th, uh, what was there, Halloween, Christmas. We thought Christmas seems like a great one. Have you sat through the parades and, I don't know, like me, I sit there and go, our church should do this some year, and I just never acted on that till this year. So I thought it would be a wonderful thing uh, for us to put together a float of some kind. Uh, I don't know how big or small, and we'll have people walking along, handing out candy with uh, invitations to church. I think it'll be a fantastic way to be out in the community and to communicate people that we're here and that we love you and we're your neighbors. Um, so... If you would like to be involved with that, come see me, email me. Um, I need somebody to sort of head that up, but also lots of people to, who want to be in the, in the parade. So it's uh, six, December 6th, 6 p.m. Let me know. Uh, for those who did not get the email this week or have not talked to anyone, uh, we found out on Thursday morning that... Tom Kinneman, our dear brother, has gone on to be with the Lord. Um, we know that he has struggled with his health for some time, and he's been in and out of the hospital. And so it was not a shock, but it was it was difficult to hear. Um, he often told me that he was going to live to be a hundred, so he didn't make it. But we know uh, it's about just over a year since Roseanne, his wonderful wife, died. And he was, is looking forward to being with her and there together. 
So um, his daughter, Beth, lives in Ashburn, and she's handling, kind of uh, closing up his apartment. And uh, right now we've got the memorial service planned for November 15th. If you were at Roseanne's, it's probably going to be the same idea over at the Wingler House in the rec hall there. Uh, it'll be a Saturday uh, from 11 to 2. So we'll, we'll be getting out information on that. But turn with me today to the passage. We start Matthew chapter 28. This week and next week are our final weeks in the Gospel of Matthew, our sermon series that has spanned almost a hundred sermons. Can you believe it? So we're getting near the end, and that's somewhat why we have the Easter theme. That's where we are even though it's October. Uh, if you have not heard, we are heading into the book of Hebrews in 2015. Uh, the women's retreat said that they uh, studied the book of Hebrews a bit this weekend, so they are primed and ready for that. Um, and then in, the, in between, we figured we needed a book to tide us over. I got to thank John Nelson, Jonathan Nelson for that pun. If you're groaning, sorry, I was laughing. We're going to do Titus next month. Excited for that. Let's turn to Matthew 28, the first 15 verses. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. 
The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Father God, bring us to this very familiar text. We often hear some variation, one of the other Gospels preached in Easter. But as we preach through it now, as we read through it, Lord, give us eyes to see hearts to understand what is contained here. Thank you for this account that the gospel writers, that Matthew so faithfully recorded to open our spirits to receive from your word this morning. Amen. The phrase life-changing gets thrown around a bit casually these days. New technology, the iPhone 6, is life-changing. A new job or a relationship can change our lives. For some people, a great diet or an exercise program or finding the right medication is life-changing. And in one sense, it is. Everything, big and small, can, can change our lives, have great effects on us. But true life change, where old foundations and assumptions crumble, and new belief systems, new paradigms take root in their place, well, those are rare. Now, these 15 verses that I just read describe an event that not only was life-changing for those who were there when it happened, but it has been life-changing down through the centuries. And it is just as radical and life-changing today. And as often happens when our lives and our beliefs change, it's usually not by our own efforts, but as we are confronted by someone, by something outside of ourselves. Often we need someone else to challenge us to explain that what we used to think was wrong and that we need to have a new understanding. So as we look at this text, as we follow Mary and Mary to the tomb, on Sunday morning, they meet someone that they didn't expect to meet that morning, an angel who explains everything to them. Now, why do Mary and Mary go back to the tomb that morning? Probably for the same reason that any of us goes and visits the grave of a loved one. We did that this past summer, maybe you've done it, to remember, to be connected again somehow. Remember, in the last chapter, we're told that they were sitting actually right across from the tomb as Joseph of Arimathea rolled the stone in front of the entrance. And so now they were return the next day to just remember Jesus in their deep mourning and grief. 
And what they expected to find was the reminder that this world is cruel and evil and that wicked men can silence the good, the true, and the beautiful. But what they found was very different. They found out that good does triumph over evil eventually. Do you remember what happened in the last chapter when Jesus died? Right before the temple curtain ripped in two and the dead walked out of their graves. Verse 51 said, The earth shook, the rocks were split. And then verse 54 said, When the centurions saw the earthquake, when Jesus died, the earth shuddered. We don't know what it measured on the Richter scale, but I think it was high. And did you catch what happens in this chapter when Jesus is raised from the dead and the tomb opens up for him? Verse 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I mean, we've known that the winds and seas obey Jesus. But this is a whole nother level as the whole earth trembles first at his death and then at his coming back to life. Verse 3 and 4 describe their encounter. This angel, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Well, I don't know about you, I, I can't imagine meeting someone whose appearance is like lightning. I think we tend to think of the, the white and maybe the backlit as just radiant, but lightning. And a being so fierce, or an image so fierce and startling, that it made Roman soldiers pass out in fear. And I know they didn't mistake this being for anything other than a supernatural visitation. And for some reason, the women do not pass out from fear like the soldiers do. Perhaps the angel appeared differently to God's people than he did to God's enemies. But the angel very quickly tells the women that what they expected to find is no longer the reality. Verses 5 and 7, let's read again the content of the angel's message. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The angel says, this place is empty. I know what you came for. But things have changed. You are not going to find a risen Savior lying around here. He is out. He is on the move. He 
has some divine appointments to get to. Look at verses 6 and 7. Look at the commands that the angel gives to the women. It's the latter part of 6, early part of 7. Come, see, go, tell. He says, essentially, come close into the tomb. See the place where his body should be, but is not anymore. Then go quickly back to the disciples. Tell them what you have seen, the truth that he is risen, and that he wants to meet up with them back in Galilee. Well, it's a compelling explanation. And the mission that the angel has given, there's no indication that the two Marys hesitated or questioned anything, but turned to do exactly what he's told them. And that same message, those four commands are still given to you and to me. To everyone throughout the ages who have read through this text, come, see, go, tell. Come to the tomb yourself through the testimony of the Scripture. See for yourself the life of Jesus, the account of His death, the evidence of His resurrection. Then go back to everyone you know. Everyone who doesn't know this amazing truth yet and tell them what you've seen. Tell them what changed your life. Next week's sermon passage will be the Great Commission. The command of Jesus to go make disciples of all nations. But I see an equally compelling mission in these words. It goes hand in hand with the Great Commission. A directive for us to be witnesses who speak of His resurrections, heralds of His truth, ambassadors entrusted with the good news. And it's never just come see, keep it to yourself. And it's also not go tell, but without any evidence or experience beforehand. No, it's come and see for yourself and then go take that truth and invite others in. We're following this first amazing encounter. The women have an even greater encounter as Jesus meets them in verses 8 through 10. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Well, it's certainly noteworthy when you see an angel. 
a messenger from the Lord, but it's quite another thing to see Jesus himself. What a gift. And I think even though the angel has told them not to fear, did you catch in verse 8, they, they departed still in fear, mixed with joy. So Jesus places himself in their path. I suppose they were close to running into him, maybe. On their way back to the disciples, he stops them and repeats again, do not be afraid. And then he repeats much of the angel's message. The command to go tell my brothers what's happened and that they can expect me to see me in Galilee. And the two women take hold of his feet. I don't, I don't think that they touch him to make sure that he's really there like doubting Thomas had to do. I think they're just so full of joy that they can't help it. They fall to his feet, but they, maybe they wanted to hug him, but they just come and they grab what they can and they worship at his feet, worshiping in the beautiful posture of prostrating themselves before him. And if their resolve was not cemented after seeing the angel, I think it certainly is now that they've seen and touched their risen Lord. But after that, we move in the text from belief, this beautiful belief of these women, to unbelief. Because Jesus always brings those two responses, doesn't He? In verses 11 through 15, we see that the powers that killed Jesus have come up with an alternative explanation for what happened that morning. Let's read again, 11 through 15. While they, the women, were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money, did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The women are leaving the tomb to spread the truth of what's happened. The guards leave the tomb to cover it up and to deny that truth. Of course, they need to find out what the Jewish leaders want them to do with this new development. Uh, they know that they could be killed for failing to protect the tomb, even if there was very little they could have done against an angel. But they go and they report, I'm assuming very faithfully, everything that happened to the chief priests and the elders who don't seem to pause even for a moment to try to process the fact that these guards have seen something overwhelming 
and extraordinary. There seems to be no stopping and saying, maybe we were wrong. Because they've set their course. They just throw money at him and they, they've already got a lie ready that they need to get circulated. It was, it was those disciples after all. We knew it. And it's all a big hoax. Spread that around. I mean, that's the lie. That's the very reason that they put the guards there in the first place, to prevent. But it must have been the disciples, that seems, what they're going to get away with. And maybe they're going to need to bribe Pilate as well. Those brave disciples who all ran away when Jesus was arrested, they were the ones who came past these guards and stole the body. Well, we remember the truth of Jesus' words in the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. I won't repeat the whole story, but the rich man at the end of the story says, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham replies, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will, be they, will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And the religious leaders of the day contrived, continued in their rejection of Jesus and their unbelief. And even today, there are still numerous ways that people explain away the resurrection. I won't spend too much time on each of these, but it's important to acknowledge that people have theories that conveniently can deny this resurrection. The first one, sometimes called the swoon theory, that Jesus just looked like he was dead but really just passed out and then was revived in the cool air in the tomb, or, or possibly he was drugged to make his heart beat slow down, and so they mistook him for dead. The problem with that is Roman soldiers were actually pretty good at killing people. And it stretches credibility that someone who had been tortured and crucified could revive that well. Secondly, the, there's a theory, maybe the women were just confused, right? They saw someone that looked like Jesus. It was early, maybe his brother. Um, it's a mistaken identity. Now, that could happen once, twice, a few times. But Paul tells us Jesus appeared to over 500 people. There's a theory that oh, they just got the tomb wrong. Right? That Jesus' body was in a different tomb. That the women, the disciples came to the wrong one and suddenly, hey, Jesus is resurrected. The problem with that is it would have been a pretty easy one for the Jews and the Romans to disprove. Wouldn't it? Just point to the right one. But there's no evidence that they were able to produce Jesus' body Other theories, you, you see what you want to see, right? If you, 
If you really want something to happen, you're going to be emotionally and psychologically predisposed to see it or to make sure it happened. The problem with that was the disciples were not expecting the resurrection. Some can't even believe it after they're told. And then there's always the fallback of there's the gospel and the letters of Paul are biased history. Right? Written by people that need the story to be true. But all history is biased. All journalists have a, a bent and angle, and if you want to throw out all of history, treat them all as theories. But all of these are just ways to justify not having to believe this historical text. I mean, I appreciate the efforts of critical scholars and attempts to understand the Bible, its origins, its, when it was written, audience, explain its teachings, all of those things. But the bottom line is, if you come to the Scriptures with the assumption, with the presupposition that miracles, the supernatural, cannot happen, and that God has not or cannot intervene in our world, then guess what? You will never believe the Bible's explanations, the Bible's accounts. So maybe instead of picking and choosing what you like and what you don't like, what you think is credible or incredulous, just throw it out as a pack of lies or believe it. The Scriptures are not open to selective belief. We cannot remain neutral on this question. Either Jesus is who He said He was, and that what is written in the historical accounts of the Gospel really happened, or this whole thing called Christianity is wrong and deluded and is not worthy of your time. I've talked to atheists and essentially thanked them for not pretending that there is some middle ground. If there's no God, if there's no afterlife, there's no reason to trust our, our Bibles. There's no reason for you to be here in church this morning. Eat, drink, and be merry. Find some other way to make meaning and sense in this life. And I'm only saying what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 16 through 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the resurrection is not true, then my beliefs, my whole ministry, this whole church is based on a lie. But I'm willing to stake my life on this. And the disciples who were killed off one by one 
for their faith, often in brutal ways, staked their lives on the absolute truth and reality of the fact that Jesus was no longer dead, but that he had risen. Their lives were completely different from when they thought that they had been following a false Messiah who was killed and couldn't deliver on his promises. To when it was revealed to them that their master was really the victorious Lord over all. The resurrection of Jesus changes our lives in countless ways. Well, actually, someone's counted them. I have a book called Risen, 50 Reasons Why the Resurrection Changed Everything by Stephen Matthewson. The 50 things he lists, which are all based on specific scriptures, are everything from the very spiritual, such as to give us eternal life, to intercede for us at God's right hand, to give Jesus complete supremacy. All those beautiful things. To the very practical, the resurrection allows us to reorient our desires. Give us a reason to endanger our lives and delivers us from self-indulgence. The resurrection truly changes our lives. We see everything from a new worldview. Now some of you may say, all right, I, I get this is what Jesus has been working towards and the, the scriptures are fulfilled and uh, salvation is accomplished. But really, how does this work out practically? Let me just speculate on one way, give you one practical way. One example, that you're, you wake up tomorrow morning, go to work, your car is stolen. How does your worldview deal with a stolen car your only car, maybe, versus someone whose worldview does not have the resurrection. Well, if there is no hope for the resurrection, you're going to be angry at whoever stole your car. You're going to be resentful because you worked hard for that, and now you're going to have to spend a bunch of money for a new car. And your time has been wasted, your money has been wasted, someone has stolen joy something precious from you in this life and you're not going to get it back. But the worldview, the hope of someone who knows that they have new life in Christ, that the resurrection will happen to them, they're troubled because justice, an injustice has happened. But we know that God will someday make all things right. Maybe that person that stole that car needs it more than I do. We can forgive because Christ has forgiven us and we can glory in the fact that while we have pain and trials on this earth, one day we will be in heaven where there will be no pain. No one will sin against us. It makes all the difference. 
And the biggest change is maybe what the angel and Jesus said to Mary and Mary and what they still whisper to us today. Do not be afraid. Don't fear that evil will ultimately triumph. Don't think that this life is darkness with no light to overcome it. Don't fear death and the grave as the great enemies. Don't be afraid that your life has no purpose. Don't fear that your problems, your mistakes, your sins will keep you from God. And don't doubt that there is a great and holy God who loves you and forgives you on account of Christ's victory over death. Our fears fall away in the light of the resurrection of Jesus. This week, death seemed to be on my mind. Um, not only did we get the devastating news that our dear brother Tom Kinneman has passed away, but I also heard from a pastor that my dad used to work with, whose children were in uh, my middle school and high school youth group as I was growing up, uh, that his wife had lost her battle with cancer. I, I heard a local senior in high school took his own life. This was a difficult week. And there's death every week. But it came home. And it's a reminder that the one certainty in life is that it will be over someday. We may put it off for many, many years. Or death may claim us soon, even unexpectedly. And at that point, either I will have surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and died with Him so that I will receive a resurrection body that will live on for eternity. Or I will have to pay for my sins with my own soul. Punished by spending eternity separated from God. Tom Kinneman shared with me, with, with the other pastors, probably with many of you, that he loved Jesus. And he felt so blessed to be saved by God's grace. Even when he was recovering from surgery, dealing with having lost the better part of his leg, or grieving for his wife, I heard Tom praise his Lord and Savior. He told me over and over, God is so good to me even though I don't deserve it. God was good to Tom when he called him to be a believer midway through his life. Gave him new life then. And he was good to him this week as he called him home and raised him to eternal life. And God is good because he invites all of us to that same new life that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Peter 1 reminds us that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And all who rejoice in that living hope said, Amen. Lord God, thank you that we have access to the greatest power that the world has ever seen. That as we are united to Christ, we have the sure and certain hope that we will be resurrected to eternal life after death. Lord, strengthen our confidence in the truth of your word and in the truth of your resurrection. Lord, give us the courage to come and see the evidence, to read the scriptures, and to believe them by the power of your Spirit. Then send us out to go and tell the good news, to proclaim your resurrection to a lost and dying world that needs to know they can have life after death, even if they're doing everything they can to deny it and explain it away. Lord, thank you for our dear brother Tom and his constant reminder that you are good, that you love him, that you love us, even when we don't deserve it. You are the only true, wise, and holy God. Thank you that you call us to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.